You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. We are going to continue today on our series in the book of Acts. So today we're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to spend some time on verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bibles, please open it with me. And um, before I begin, I just want to uh, tell you that this, uh, this series, the book of Acts, has been really personally challenging in, um, in many ways. It has brought a lot of discomfort in this past weeks, and it has, it has also made me ask some really good questions about how we do church, what the church is, uh, my faith, how I live my faith, uh, things like that, that that have deepened and also strengthened um, my, my faith in Jesus and how he wants me to reach out to others. So I hope it does the same to you. I hope it's also uh, a challenging time and a challenging book. I want to encourage everybody during the week, you don't have to just read the text that we read um, um, every, every time we preach. Uh, please take some time to read the book of Acts, ask questions. If you have a question or something that comes up, feel free to email me, text me. I would love to interact with you guys about that. Um, my objective in doing this is that we would all be challenged and we would also be comforted as well. And I know that many of you, in fact, I'm looking around and most of you have been believers for a long time. And this might not be the first time that you hear a sermon or a series in the book of Acts. But I want to remind you that we should approach the Bible as what it is, a living book. It's not just a text. It is a book that, we, that speaks to us. It's not just something we read. So as the book of Hebrews uh, tells us, the word of God is living, is active, is sharp, that any two sharper than any two-edged sword pierces the division of soul and spirit. It uh, joins in marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. So every time you approach Scripture, we should remember that we are approaching a living um, book. It is the Word of God. So I hope that as we continue, we have fresh ears and eyes as we read these passages. So let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Dear God, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for allowing us to worship. Lord, um, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would uh, bring peace and comfort uh, as we read and hear your word. I pray that you would also challenge us and bring joy to our hearts as we are encouraged to live on mission through the power of the Spirit because of your love and to your glory. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried from uh, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate 
to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and did John, as, did, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the, name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognize him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. We are in chapter 3, and this is what happens after the whole mess of Pentecost occurred. We just read that the Holy Spirit falls on the, on the disciples, Peter and everyone stands up, start preaching. 3,000 people get converted. They create a new community where they share everything. They're praying together daily. They're sharing their possessions. They're sharing meals. And now it seems like things are back to normal. We read of an activity that people regularly do. They just go to the temple to pray. So in a sense, this is the beginning of regular life after such a dramatic event. And this event is also very significant because this story, number one, is a very long story that just keeps getting more and more complicated and dramatic. And as we will read, this begins by the healing of, of the man that we just read about. Then it turns into another sermon from Peter because people come to see what happened. And then uh, they are arrested by the leaders of the temple, and then 5,000 people more believe in the gospel, and then they, are, they, they put into prison, they are questioned, they are threatened, and then they're let go. And then from this point on, we hear and read that there's hostility against the Christians. The Christians. Before this time, everything was okay. Right after this, Basically, all hell breaks loose for the church and the Christians. But it all starts with this miracle. And I'd like to talk a, a little bit about miracles. So I was reading, and I've already talked about this in a few occasions before, but our church doesn't necessarily have a specific position on whether we are continuist or cessationist, as far as I know. I've been looking at the documents that we have from previous administrations and current administrations, and I can't find a position on whether we are cessationist or continuationist. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, when, we, when you talk about miracles in the church, you have uh, one of two positions, mainly. The cessationist position, which is basically that the miraculous gifts such as tongues, prophecy, and healing have ceased, okay? Then there's a continuationist position, which means that those gifts continue until today. And there is no way I can attempt to explain both sides right now. 
And I don't even want to try to persuade you in either direction because this is something that we have attempted to do as Christians for a long time and we haven't really agreed. So I just want to say my personal belief is that this gifts continue until today. I am not a cessationist. I am, I am a continuationist. But again, as a church, you are free to be either one. And we would consider you my, our brother and sister without any issues. There is a passage that is probably the biggest and most important passage in this conversation, debate, whatever you want to call it. And it's 1 Corinthians 13. And I, I believe that this is the, the axis of it all. And, and it actually says that these things will cease. Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 10. It says, love never ends. As prophecies, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, this phrase is the key matter. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So if you're a cessationist, what that means is that when the perfect comes in, in cessationist circles, what that means is when the canon of the Bible or, or scripture closes. So since we have already closed that door, then the perfect has already come, the word of God. So those things cease to exist or cease to be active. If you are a continuist, you believe, as I do, that when the perfect comes, refers to the second coming of Jesus, which has not happened yet. So therefore, these gifts are still active today and are necessary for the church. Interesting enough, to my point, because I am a continuist, it also says that knowledge will pass away. And cessationists do not believe that because they say that they know. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about that later. Um, I believe that cessationists and continuists are both Christians and my fellow brothers and sisters. But I believe that the church still has and should utilize miracles or attempt to um, often. And I believe this is something that should be regular in the church. And when I say regular, I don't mean the abuses that you've seen in, in TV. I mean biblically applied miracles or done in a biblical way. One of the main reasons why I, I am a continuist is because I personally know, and my wife as well, uh, firsthand accounts of people who have been healed. So it, is, it would be against my own witness to, to, to say otherwise. But anyway, before we continue, as we see in this text today, miracles do have a purpose and miracles are displays of God's power, God's goodness and mercy towards his people. And this has happened and this has been the purpose of miracles since the Old Testament and all the way to the New Testament and everything in the middle. My point is that as we will see today, miracles are not just show-offs for a personality or they are not a way for you to show or display how holy you are or how uh, or the rank that you have in the church it is not for us it is not for our own sake or benefit in the sense that it will bring or we will bring glory to us but rather it is a display of God to bless us because he is good and he's merciful and miracles should always point us to Jesus. Miracles should always lead people to repentance and should always bring us to worship 
God, which is what we will see here. In fact, if we look at, at the end of this uh, text, we will see that this man who was lame from birth stood up, leaped up actually, stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with John and Peter, praising God. This is the first thing he did. He immediately went into the temple and started to praise God. So, this is important because this is what miracles produce. I want to make sure that you hear me say, I do not believe that miracles are just a mess or they're supposed to create some sort of, I don't know, nirvana or anything like that. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a display of God's glory and power and goodness, goodness towards, towards us. Yet, miracles will always be abused. And in fact, there are people who selfishly look for miracles. And this is not something that happens now. If you go to somebody's campaign or, or uh, whatever you call it. In, in Spanish, we call it campañas. How do you call it in English? Campaigns? Like the, the crusades. Sorry, that's what I, that's what I mean. Crusades. Um, people sometimes go for selfish reasons. And they don't really care much about God. They just want to be healed. And, and this is not something that uh, is new. In fact, if you remember, Jesus himself told a whole crowd in John 6. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. So miracles and signs and wonders will continue to be uh, abused uh, for selfish reasons yet they are displays of God's goodness and mercy and power to us. Okay, that was just a disclaimer. My sermon today, my first point is, the first thing I see in this text is that God is fulfilling his plan through our daily lives. As I was mentioning in, in verse 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at the ninth hour. The ninth hour was 3 p.m., Jewish time begins at 6 in the morning. Therefore, the third hour is 9 a.m., which is when they were uh, speaking in tongues in chapter 2. Remember, Peter stands up and says, they cannot be drunk. It's 9 in the morning. It's the third hour. I don't know Jewish tradition, but it's even today, it's hard for, to find, not impossible, but hard to find someone drunk at 9 in the morning. So Peter says, it's the third hour. It's 9 a.m. The third hour is usually lunchtime, which is 12 and the sixth hour is, uh, I'm sorry, 12 is the sixth hour. And then 6 p.m. is the, the end of the day, which is the 12th hour. So we see Peter and John continuing their normal routines, going to the temple. In chapter 2, we saw that this is what happened to the church. They didn't stop being Jewish. They continued. They met in the temple. They went to prayer. They, they, they fellowship with each other. And as they were going about their normal lives, an opportunity presents itself. And this opportunity is not out of the ordinary. In fact, it was ordinary for John and Peter to attend this, the temple to pray. But it was also uh, ordinary for them to see this person there. This man has been there for over 40 years, probably. In fact, if you read chapter 4, we will do this later. You, uh, we are told the age of this man. We are told that this man is above the age of 40. And he was lame, crippled since birth. 
And people used to carry him every day and put him in the same gate every day, which is the gate called the beautiful. This is also ordinary for the lame guy. This is what he's been doing probably his entire life. He was there the whole time. People actually recognized him when he was here. He's like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that, that, yeah, that's the guy that's always in that entrance. But God had a, a, an extraordinary plan for a day that was ordinary for everybody. And the extraordinary, the extraordinary plan that God had included some really interesting elements. For instance, Peter and John enter the gate or enter the, 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 the temple through the gate called the beautiful. This is also known as the golden gate. In fact, uh, a lot of people think this is the main gate uh, to enter the city towards the temple. And it was the closest, or still today, it is the closest gate to the temple. It's shut today. But it was called the beautiful because it was the only one that had two arches. This is significant because this is the biggest gate. It was the closest to the temple. Some scholars believe that this is the gate where Jesus entered on a donkey. And Jewish tradition says that the Messiah will enter Jerusalem through this golden gate or the beautiful gate. It is also significant because Jesus passed through this gate many times. He healed many people all around that area many times. But Jesus did not heal this man. This man has been there for a long time. And we should ask ourselves, why is it that Jesus did not heal this man? I'm pretty sure he was sad. And I am almost 100% sure that he met Jesus. Everybody knew who Jesus was. And Jesus healed thousands of people. And this man was not one of them. Even though he was in the route, he was in the area. God is planning something special for that day that is ordinary for everybody, but God has something in mind, and he's strategically putting the pieces together. God chooses the biggest gate closest to the temple to make the biggest noise, and God decides to heal this man at that time. Jesus did not ignore this man, or Jesus did not choose to not care for this man. I am 100% sure that God, Jesus, had a plan for this man for this moment. God decided that this man was going to be healed that day, at that time, in that place, because God is working out his plan without us understanding what's happening. He is fulfilling his plan in our lives as we go about our ordinary lives. All of these things we know now. But back then, nobody pieced that together. And on that regular day at the temple with regular people who have been there hundreds of times, God healed a man. God confirmed to his disciples that he was with them, that they had the same power that raised Jesus from the dead with them at work as well. God called the attention of thousands of people again, and 
if you read chapter 4, you will realize that God added over 5,000 people to his church because of this miracle. Acts chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Notice, this happened in a three-hour span. Because they were going to the prayer at what time? 3 p.m. And at what time did the, 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 the day ended? At 6 p.m. And it was already the evening. So they had to put him in jail because they, they couldn't continue doing anything. It was The day was over. But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. Jesus did not ignore this man when he passed through the golden gate over and over. He did not ignore him. He had a plan. He crafted a plan to confirm his power to his disciples, to heal him, to call the attention of the authorities, and to save over 5,000 people. All of that in a span of three hours on a regular day. Nobody had any idea that that was going to happen and it just exploded again. In fact, this time it happened the opposite. If you continue to read chapter 4, and we will get into that, they are filled with the Spirit again in chapter 4 after this. And the same thing happens. There's a, there's a big noise, and then they are filled with the Spirit. What, it, what is it that I'm trying to say with this? That God is working His plan in our lives. We need to understand and know that even though we just go about our daily lives, lives and nothing has changed much and that maybe there aren't any major events happening, God is working. God is weaving his plan, crafting his plan, and fulfilling his plan around us, with us, to bless us and to bless the people around us as well. And maybe you feel like the, the layman, that God is taking too long and that everybody is being healed except for you. But God is not ignoring you. He has a plan. Everything that God does works for our good, especially if you are a believer. And what I, I want to encourage us and invite us as a church to walk every day expectant. With eyes open to see what is it that God might be doing in our lives and in other people's lives on regular days. In fact, I would say that with God, there are no regular boring days. We just don't know what's happening. Remember the, what God tells Isaiah in, 50, in, in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So whatever is going on with your life, even if your life is going perfectly and you are at the top of the mountain god has a plan and you have no idea where this is going and if you're at the bottom you have no idea as well 
You don't know why it's taking so long. You don't know why things are going so fast. You don't know why it's so difficult. You don't even know why it's so hard or why it's so easy. You don't, we don't know. God's thoughts are bigger and better than our thoughts. So wherever you are and whatever you're going through, we need to remember that God is fulfilling his good, merciful, loving plan in our lives to bless us and to bless the people around us. So when you're at work, when you're in your house, when you're at school, when you're at the playground with your kids, by yourself, with your friends, at the doctor in the store, God is working. He's always speaking. We just need to be aware and open. And like Megan said, sometimes we're just very distracted. But God is working. He's fulfilling his plan through our daily lives. And my second point, what I see Peter and John doing is that they are ready to share Jesus with others. And we need to be ready to share Jesus with others. As we go about our daily lives, we need to be aware and ready to share Jesus with others. They, uh, verse, verse 3 says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. This guy was asking for money. And Peter looks at him, stops, looks at him, and John as well. And he says, look at us. And this is important because for someone who's a cripple and has been in the same place for years, usually people just ignore him. Or you just grab a coin, toss it, and then you're on your way. But Peter and John stop and says, look at us. And he fixes his attention on them, and he expected to receive something from them. So he's looking at them, and Peter said, I don't have what you're asking for. I don't have silver or gold, but I have something. And he heals them. And this is very, very important for us because this means that Peter and John were willing to be inconvenienced and go beyond the easy route or the casual way to address someone who was probably considered a nobody, and most likely nobody have wanted to have anything to do with him. I'm not sure if you know, but in Jewish tradition, being ill or having a uh, birth defect was a sign of God's judgment upon you. In fact, people asked Jesus when he healed people, like, who, who sinned? Did he sin or did his parents sin? People assume that something bad happened to you because of your behavior or because of your parents' behavior. So most likely this guy, it was their parents' fault because he was born like that. And that was not well seen in the community. Probably his family was kind of like seen as like, oh, yeah, they are the ones that had that kid. And I don't know what they did, but don't get too close to them. A lot of those people were not even touched. They were not necessarily sometimes functionally part of the society. And they stop. They look at him. They talk to him. And they engage him to the, f to the point that he even touches him. 
Peter touches this guy. He doesn't just say, be healed, or in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And look, stands looking, and we're like, okay, walk. He actually grabs him and picks him up. And this is something they saw Jesus do. Jesus would touch people constantly, especially those who were marginalized. They take the longer, more inconvenient route to engage the guy, look at him in the eyes, talk to him, and touch him. And they heal him. They didn't do the most time-effective thing they could do. Or the religious thing to, av- to do, which probably was, all right, I'll give you a coin, and I'm on my way to prayer so that I won't be late, and that's a godly thing to do. That's not what they did. Have you asked yourself if you have ever read before this, this text, what happened to the prayer meeting? If you read chapter 4, it didn't happen for the entire temple. 5,000 people heard the message. How did that happen? Those were all the people in the temple. The whole, the whole thing created a scene outside. This was the gate that was closest to the temple. And, ev- of course, they're Jewish, and they're telling to each other, this is what's happening. Hey, what happened? This guy, I heard that these people are healing. What? Go see. And then people started to gather, and I'm pretty sure that the prayer meeting didn't happen. So I want to invite us all as well to be willing to be inconvenienced and ready to share Jesus with the people around us. We need to keep our eyes open. We need to be ready and aware of what is happening everywhere we go because God has plans for us. He's working his plan. But we must be willing to be inconvenienced. We must be willing to look at people. We need to be able to acknowledge their presence, look at the people, talk to them, shake their hands, pray for them, show interest in them, share Jesus with them. And we also need to be willing to change our plans, to be late for other people. And that is inconvenient. God is working his plan through us in our daily lives, but we need to be willing to be inconvenienced. We need to be flexible. And I can tell you, it's easy to say it, but it's really hard to do it. I've shared with you, and some of you know, that we started being more active about inviting people and talking to to people. And it feels really Christian. It feels really good. It feels like, yeah, I'm finally doing it. But then you're in the thick of it, and then you realize this is hard. We started uh, meeting this Iraqi family that I asked money uh, for. In fact, if you gave money, thank you so much. We were able to pay their rent and give them uh, money for food. And, but it's been hard. My wife, and I want to honor Carla in front of everybody because she's been driving this lady. She helped her with the paperwork for school. She helped her with uh, taking her to uh, doctor's visits. And, and it's just it's just time-consuming. Sometimes they don't understand. They don't have the same manners. They, they expect things that you did not know they expected. And it's just really difficult. And these people are really needy, so they, like, go all the way. And sometimes you're not ready. You're like, wait, 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 wait. 
I actually had to talk to my neighbor and say, hey, um, you can't knock on my door like 20 times a day. Like, we love that you come, but you need to stop. And, and, and it didn't stop there. I, was, I started giving my card to people, and the guys that uh, sell the little uh, popsicles and the little uh, carts around Manassas Park, I started talking to this guy. He happened to be Mexican. He had an accident. He shared his life with me. He started telling me about the issues he's struggling, and then he's needing stuff, and, and, and I'm, like, engaging with these people. There was this other family from Venezuela who doesn't have money, and he, she has two kids. They just came here. They don't speak English, and there's, like, just, like, it feels, like, overwhelming. I'm sorry I'm saying like this is what happens when I get nervous too much. But it is really inconvenient. And there's no really planning with a lot of these people. There's no really, uh, I'll, I'll meet you at this place at this time. Some of them have no transportation. Some of them don't even understand what you're telling them. They don't know where things are. It's just chaotic and it's difficult. But God is working in his plan through our daily lives. And we need to be ready and available and flexible to let that happen. These people have been around me the whole time. It's just that God, through the book of Acts, has been telling me, hey, you need to do this too. And it's easy for me to stand up and preach about it and read books about it and, and quote theologians about it. But do it, it's hard. And I want to encourage us all. And I see it happening. Some of you are telling us and asking for prayer because you're engaging neighbors and friends and, and making invitations, and, and it's just hard. And I love that, but this is how the Christian life is. It is not a life of comfort. If you read the book of Acts, the last thing we're going to see is Peter took a vacation and a sabbatical because he worked for 20. No! They went, and they went all the way, and they were killed, and they were put in prison, and they went through hell and they said, this is amazing. We must love people. This is our greatest commandment, to love God and to love our neighbor. Loving God is hard. Everything about our faith is hard. To love God is really hard. If that was the only thing we needed to do, that in itself is very hard to do. To love God, to prioritize God, to actually live out that he is our king and our savior, it's really hard. But then he made it even harder. Now you also need to love the people that look like you, your neighbor. That is also really hard. But that we have a blessing. And nothing that they're doing here is under own strength. They have the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are, we are not supposed to do this on our own. Everything I'm telling you is not for you to make a plan and grab your boots and pull them up and be ready for the fight. And you're now going to be an amazing Christian because you're going to make it happen. No, you won't. You cannot. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is supernatural. Our flesh does not want to meet with them. Our flesh wants your privacy. Our flesh wants time off. But the Spirit keeps moving us to being uncomfortable by His power. And the last thing I want to say is that sharing Jesus is not only, as we notice in this text, a message, but it is also good works as well. 
Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And in many Christian circles today, the passage would probably read, or they would prefer to read, a gospel presentation after that. I'll leave it at that. But in this case, there's no gospel presentation. There's a gospel proclamation, and there's a gospel demonstration. And what we see here is a gospel demonstration. They didn't immediately preach the gospel, but they remember that our mission in our gospel is not just words. It's also action. It's something that has to do with good news for everybody. It's something we demonstrate through our works to the people that we are supposed to love. And there's debate in Christian circles of, of what the real or the priority should be for the Christian mission or, or the mission of the church. And in some academic circles, it is believed that the real and only priority of the church, the mission of a church, is to proclaim the message of the gospel. And I would not agree with that, but I would not stop at that. Because the gospel message is not just something we verbally proclaim. But what some of these circles try to say is that we should prioritize to seek the salvation of the individual almost as if it means that's the only thing we should do. Or to prioritize the spiritual care of the individual. And we have churches that are full of doctrine, and we have churches that are full of classes, and they're really good at defining the most minute, precise theological points. And that is all good, but it is not good if it stops there. The true gospel is not just a message that is to be proclaimed, but it is a whole message that is demonstrated in action. The gospel in our mission as a church must include good works as proof of our faith. Actions that help the entirety of the person and the entirety of the community, not just the soul. And this is one of the biggest critiques of what some people call or label as European or North American theology that it is individualistic, that it is focused on the soul and the spirit of the person because the material is no longer important. It is also said that Western theology is also academic, is far removed, intellectual, abstract, and that it is hard to apply because it doesn't relate to the struggle of most of the world, the poor and the marginalized. And I'm not saying that this theology, European, North American theology, is wrong. What I'm saying is that it's not complete as it would be with Latin American theology or African theology or Asian theology. The reality is there that those are labels that do not exist. There is just theology. And as God in his manifold wisdom has given each one of us blind spots and blessings to be added to the other. Every perspective has blind spots. And, but as people living in this context, it is sometimes hard for us to understand or put ourselves in the shoes of the poor or the marginalized. We must remember that our mission as a church 
is not just to verbally proclaim the gospel, but to demonstrate the gospel not only to a person, but to a community. God cares for the soul. God cares for the spirit. God cares for the physical body. God cares about their households. God cares about their children, their parenting style, their marital style, the community, everything, their daily lives. Daniel Carro, an Argentinian theologian that I've quoted before, says about this text, these miracles are important. They manifest that the church is more than words. It is acts. We see the action of the Holy Spirit as a continuation of the messianic signs found in the life and ministry of Jesus. He later elaborates and says that what's happening in the book of Acts is, again, as we see with the book of Acts, is just literally a continuation of the book of Luke. It's Jesus doing ministry and Jesus doing ministry. Jesus doing ministry himself And Jesus doing ministry himself through his body, which is us. And what we see is not different from what happened here. We see teaching. We see teaching. We see miracles. We see miracles. We see feeding. We see feeding. We see healings. We see healings. We see Jesus living in community. We see these people living in community. It's no different. It has not changed. The same Jesus that walked the earth in those times is still here through us. We are his feet. We are his hands. We are supposed to be meeting people's needs. We are supposed to be preaching the gospel. We are supposed to engage our communities. It's not one or the other. It's like Jesus did it. Jesus spent hours healing people. Jesus spent hours feeding people. Jesus went beyond comfort to bless others. He was immersed in the community to the point that people call him a friend of the worst. So in this text, we see that the gospel not only brings spiritual healing, but in many occasions, it also brings physical healing because God cares about the whole of the human experience. You know why? Because God created the whole of human experience. Everything that we see was God's idea. He created us with this body. He created us with feelings. He created us with emotions. He created us in these communities. He created us for interaction. He put us on an earth. He told us to take care of the earth. He cares about all of this. The idea that God only cares about your soul and that this world is just going to burn and the only thing that's important is what's happening inside, it's not biblical. The gospel not only has to do with salvation, it has to do with the whole of the person. And this is not New Testament, this is from the beginning. God has been sending prophets to his people to remind them about this. Because they were concerned about the Messiah and when Jesus is going to come back and when that day and the day of the Lord, that's what they were concerned with. And, and God said, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. That was Isaiah. And then he repeats it with Micah. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what, do, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? 
And then Jesus comes back and he rebukes the Pharisees and he says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did to it, as as you did not to as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do to me. Excuse that. Our mission is not only to save the soul. Our gospel is not concerned about spiritual things only. Our gospel is concerned about the whole of the human experience. And Peter and John look at this man and say, this is what I have, the power of the Spirit. I see what you have. I see what you most need. And the, most, the, the thing that you need the most is not money. You need to be healed. And this guy is restored back into the community. A man who used to just take from the community and that was marginalized from the community is now an able-bodied man who can contribute to the community and is back into the community. So the miracle goes beyond just one person. It blesses the community. This is our gospel. And yes, the gospel is also a message to be proclaimed. And yes, we will have a new everything. But we will have a new earth, and we will have a new body. This body is not going to fully disappear. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be restored, but it's not going to go away entirely. God is restoring all things, not forsaking all things. And the gospel for all of us today that we need to remember is that God loved us so much that he gave his only son to bring salvation to all of us. And today, if you're here and you're a believer, you need to realize that this means everything about you. God wants you to be okay. You need to know that Jesus cares for you, for the people around you, for your for your children, for your husband, for your parents, for your friends, for your siblings, for your everyone. He loves you. He not only loves your soul, but he loves you. Because he is a good father. I want to I finish reading this. Matthew 7, 7 to 11. You can remember this because of the 7, 11. Matthew 7, 11, or 7 to 11. <laughs> Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Please listen to this. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask him? God cares about you and about the people around you. God cares about Manassas. God cares about everyone in Manassas. I want to encourage you to be open, aware, keep your eyes open as we go on our daily lives. My biggest prayer for this church isn't that it will be big. It's not that we would be the next cool thing that happens in Manassas, that we could have the biggest budget. My prayer is that the people of this church would love God and love others faithfully, and that we share our faith. So go into your daily lives and expect God to fulfill his plan. Share Jesus with others, either with a message, praying for them, supplying a need, providing for a need. Let's be the light of this world and the salt of this earth. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for the example that you have uh, placed in front of us in the life of John and Peter. Lord, I pray that you would help us keep our eyes open as we share the gospel and as we go about our lives with the people around us. I pray that you would utilize us, that you would um, help us be light in this city, in these towns. And I pray that you will help us really love our neighbors as much as we love you. Help us take the risk of being uncomfortable. Help us be flexible with our schedules and prioritize people. Take the time to be inconvenienced. Stop, look at them, talk to them, touch them, and give them your love. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.